Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. The Borg are an amalgam of cybernetically enhanced humanoid drones of multiple species. Organized as an interconnected collective with a hive mind inhabiting a vast region of space. They operate towards one single-minded purpose. To add the biological and technological distinctiveness of other species to their own in the pursuit of perfection. They are the adversary of autonomy. The definition of slavery. They are the juggernauts of an infinite number of quadrants and parallel dimensions, including the mirror universe. The mirror universe has never been so treacherous. Hello, you're listening to The Ready Room, the Treks and Sci-Fi Microcast. I'm Kenny. I play Captain Quinn of the USS Arabella. I am solo once again this week as we are finishing up our last of our crew profile readings. We had a few leftover of our main characters, and I had some of the more popular non-playing characters, or NPC that we call them. Um, And I had some of our uh, four members read those profiles. Everyone seemed to like the last podcast to get to know our characters a little better before we start Season 9, which we will be starting by the time this podcast airs, probably the same, about the same time. We're hoping to start it this week, uh, maybe towards the end of the week, we will be starting Season 9 of the RPG. And Jen, Rick, and I will hopefully be back next week with our usual Ready Room podcast. So um, I hope you enjoy these remaining profiles. Take it away, guys. Computer, begin recording. Personnel file for Sarak Dar Talbot, rank admiral, born 2304, place of birth Romulus, gender male, species of origin half human, half Romulan, hair color very dark brown with small touches of gray, brown eyes, height 6 foot 1, weight 190, skin tone fair slightly green tinge body tall and in good shape appears much younger than his years due to his half Romulan heritage face slightly Romulan in appearance but typical features are somewhat subdued telepathic empathic abilities very slight telepathic abilities more of a keen gut instinct sense marital status married to a human Lydia one child Habits, exercise, and long walks. Also enjoys a variety of things, reading history, engineering, horseback riding, art, unarmed combat training, chess, and visiting new worlds. Dislikes. Narrow thinking, ceremony, anti-gravity. Temperament. Loyal, logical, but can have a bit of a temper. 
Mother, Caitlin Dar, Romulan diplomat to Nimbus III. Father, St. John Talbot, human diplomat to Nimbus III, deceased. Admiral Talbot's parents first met when they were assigned as diplomats to Nimbus III. After several years or chance meetings and then dating, they decided to live together for a time. Shortly afterwards, they were married. They didn't plan to have children, but ended up having one child, a boy they named Surak Dar. As diplomats to various remote colonies and systems, the Talbots moved around a lot while he was growing up. Sometimes this involved time aboard Federation starships, which Surak began to explore and learn about. He was especially interested in the, in the technology of the mighty starships. Sirach became an avid reader of technical journals on warp drive propulsion, transporter systems, and other engineering systems. It wasn't easy growing up as a half-human, half-Romulan child. He spent most of the times around humans, but he did get a chance to visit Vulcan and Romulus several times. He enjoyed Vulcans and their culture quite a bit but he did have a habit of getting into a few fights with Vulcan children from time to time. Even though the Vulcan children were stronger and better trained, Sirach could at times hold his own in those confrontations. This was around the time he began to learn various unarmed combat techniques and studied them intensely. He quickly decided he wanted to enter Starfleet Academy and study engineering. He did very well there and became close friends with one of the instructors, Captain Savick. She was also of mixed heritage, like he was, and this drew them together. Sirach learned much from Savick on how to balance his logical and emotional states and to choose when to each use each of them. After graduation, he was posted as an ensign in engineering aboard the Yorktown. Sirach greatly enjoyed his early years aboard the Yorktown. He found the diverse crew was more accepting of his Romulan heritage than others had been. He quickly rose in rank, and his superiors known as Sirach also had a knack for command. He managed others in engineering well, and the people under his command were very loyal to him. By this point, Sirach was a lieutenant commander and the direct assistant to the chief engineer of the Yorktown. He also was becoming a very valuable away team member, leading a number of crucial missions. Sirach enjoyed seeing new worlds and meeting various alien races. The captain of the Yorktown started to suggest that young Sirach train for bridge command position. As his command training progressed, Sirach was enjoying his occasional time on the bridge. He was promoted to first officer after the previous first officer was posted to a new starship command position. Around this time, Sirach spent some time on the Rigel colonies for a brief shore leave. That is where he met the woman that would become his wife, Lydia. She was a human diplomat that visited various Federation colonies from time to time. The two married quickly, but had difficulty seeing each other for long stretches due to their careers. Eventually, Sirach was offered a command of his own after he was promoted to captain of engineering on the Yorktown. He took a while to decide, but he also knew he could then have his wife aboard his ship as a diplomatic officer. So Sirach took command of the Starship Atlantis. Computer, end recording for now. Okay, the following is the profile for Jadan Marley. Jadan is a Bajoran. His birthplace was the Kantar province on Bajora. He is male, he's 42, and he has brown eyes and brown hair. He's 5'9", 180 pounds with dark skin tone and a wrinkly nose. Of course, Bajorans have that. Uh, his telepathic and empathic status is none. His body's by Bowflex. 
He has an adventurous face and a twinkle in his eye. He's not married, doesn't have any children, but he does like to drink, play poker, games of chance, and work in bars. His quarters are sparse because he likes to be on adventures, not in his quarters. He likes getting into trouble, trading with bad guys, serving drinks, and helping out when needed. He doesn't like close quarters. He doesn't like grumpy people either. His ambition and goals are to make some wealth and to entertain people. Uh, He is fun and crazy. He likes cooking, hollow rock climbing, and playing strategy games. His mother's name is Norin Jadan, his father, Greater Jadan, and his siblings are Ron and Kirsty. His character history is that Jadan was sold as a slave to the Cardassians during the occupation of Bajor. He endured years of abuse at the hands of his captors. He was owned by Golden Tok, a rather vicious and spiteful Cardassian in charge of security in a small village close to Jadan's hometown. Brex, a Bolian, rescued him by buying him in a card game with Golden Tok at Tarek Nora in Quarks. Jadan became Brex's employee out of gratitude and followed him around from starship to starship to help run the mess halls and bars that he ran. Now that Brex is gone, Jadan has vowed to walk in his footsteps and serve on the Starfleet ships in the entertainment and eating establishments. He'd prefer to be working on the same ship as his deceased father, Counselor Margon, uh, his friend's father, Margon. In fact, since the death of Brex, Jadan has been working with Margon on a variety of hollow projects. Character's name, Korak of the House of Gaul. Affiliation, Imperial Klingon Defense Force. Rank, Holt, or Captain. Place of birth, the planet of Iski, Klingon Empire. Gender, male. Species of origin, Klingon. Hair, black. Eyes, brown. Height, 6 feet, 11 inches. Weight, 345 pounds. Skin tone, dark brown. Telepathic and empathic status, none. Body, tall, heavily muscled. Face, weathered and scarred with a goatee and beard. Marital status, three times divorced, twice widowed. Children, none. Habits, Korak enjoys spending his free time reveling with fellow warriors or testing himself in mortal combat, sometimes both at the same time. He is fiercely, almost fanatically loyal to the Klingon Empire, putting service to the Defense Force above everything in his life except his own personal honor. Quarters Korak's shipboard quarters tend to be typical of most Klingons, very Spartan and utilitarian. Likes Spicy food, strong liquor, and strong women, all in large quantities. Dislikes Bureaucracy, dishonesty, and timidity. Ambitions and goals To help establish the Klingon Empire as the undisputed dominant force in the known galaxy. He also believes in living as hard as he can for as long as he can. For Korak, a life not lived to the fullest is not worth living. Temperament Somewhat mercurial, borderline bipolar. Korak lives on the extremes of the emotional range. When he's pleased, he is very pleased, and when he is angry, he is very angry. He's also earned an unfortunate reputation for having a roving eye. Each of his marriages has ended in divorce due to his inability to fully commit to one partner. Hobbies. Drinking, fighting, dancing, singing. Family. His mother, Kamala of the House of Gaul. His father, Tanag of the House of Gaul. 
and one brother, his adoptive brother Katan, also of the House of Gaul. Brief character history. Born to a working-class Klingon family, Korak devoted himself to becoming an ideal candidate for the Klingon Defense Force from childhood. At the age of seven, he witnessed a brutal attack on his planet by Romulan raiders. The raiders were driven off, but not before killing two human diplomats stationed on the planet. Korak's family took in the human couple's infant child and raised it as their own. Once the child started walking, Korak worked tirelessly at toughening up his little brother, hoping that he would one day join him in serving the Empire as a member of the Defense Force. Once he earned a place in the Defense Force, Korak's career took off. He served with distinction during the Dominion War and earned command of his first ship when his captain was killed during the liberation of Cardassia Prime. The following is the profile for Lieutenant Myela Peterson. Her field is in pathology and hematology. She's a lieutenant. And she's human. She's 30 years old. And her birthplace is Ireland. She's a female. She has long curly red hair. She has blue eyes and gray colored eyes. She's five foot six, 110 pounds, light tan, and has no telepathic or empathic status. She's medium, um, athletic build, body type. She has oval-shaped face with a few freckles. She is recently married to Lieutenant Commander Casey Peterson during Season 6. They don't have any children yet, but she wants some. Her habits is she bites her fingernails when stressed. Her quarters are neat and meticulous. Her husband's cooking. She likes that. And she likes reading medical journals and research. She does not like confrontation and not knowing the answer to a problem. Her ambitions and goals is to be a department head and support her husband's goals of eventually being the head of Starfleet Medical. Her temperament, she's very even-tempered most of the time. But when she gets mad, watch out. Her hobbies, researching her family tree and history, Irish folk music, and dancing. Her mother and father, Patty O'Leary and Darcy O'Leary. She has no siblings. Here's her character history. As a child, Myela had a natural curiosity and interest in the healing arts and learned the ancient art of homeopathic healing using natural plants from her mother. By the time she was 14, she was an expert at this and would fix the scratches and scrapes on the neighborhood kids. Her interest continued through college and she received a scholarship to Starfleet Medical. She first met her husband, Casey Peterson, while taking one of her courses at Starfleet Medical. Myela's teacher found that she had an affinity for patho pathology and hematology and encouraged her to become a pathologist and hematologist with subspecialties in infectious diseases. She graduated at the top of her class from Starfleet Medical and was given a medical commendation for her work on alien hematology. While at medical conference on Earth, Myela ran into her now husband, Casey Peterson, who she secretly was in love with. She helped him recover from the psychological and physical pain at his last mission, and in the process she rekindled their romance, and it was cut short when Casey left Earth for his assignment on the USS Tiberius. This romance blossomed and resulted in the two of them being married by Casey's current captain. Myela has recently been assigned with her husband to the USS Arabella as a medical officer. Character's name, Aurora Command Hologram Mark II, Rory James. 
Rank? None. Age. Appears as a young adult female. Place of birth? Aurora Warp Shuttle. Gender. Female. Species of origin? Half Vulcan Visual Matrix. Hair? Black. Eyes? Brown. Height? 5 foot 11 inches. Weight. Varies with programming, but appears to be around 110 pounds. Skin tone? Tan from Vulcan Sun. Telepathic and empathic status? None. Body? Ideal physical look of an athletic Vulcan hybrid. Marital status? None. Children? None. Habits? Loves to dance in her free time. Quarters? Resides either on the Aurora or at Eric's quarters. Family? Eric James, father. Aria James, sister. Elizabeth James, adopted sister. History? The Mark II version of Rory is a recompiled version of the first-generation hologram that was used to store the Katra of Aria James. When the Katra was restored, her holomatrix recompiled and was rebuilt using a scan of Arya's mind as the basis of her new neural algorithms. Rory has since been granted more mobility and has been working as a system consultant for Starfleet Command on the implementation of command subroutines created during the testing of the Aurora project. Here is the character profile of Agent David Locke. His name is, of course, David Locke. He's a black ops agent of Section 31. His age is 45. His place of birth is New York City, Earth. He's, of course, a male. His species of origin? Human. Blonde, highlighted with a few white hairs around his temples. His eyes are bright blue. The crow's feet at the corners are accented when he smiles. He's 6 foot 4 and 200 pounds. His skin tone is medium complexion. He has a scar on his forehead hidden by his hair. He does not have any telepathic or empathic status. He has an athletic body. His face is friendly, charming, disarming smile. His age is showing around his eyes and has created laugh lines. His marital status? He's married to Commander Savril, though Section 31's records show he's unmarried. Savril's Starfleet record indicates she is separated, a status imposed by David for his family's protection. Her files also state that her spouse is an archaeologist. Does he have any children? Sure. He has twins with Savril, Marin and Naval. His habits? Putting his feet up on tables? A habit that used to irk Savril when they lived together. His quarters? Empty. He's hardly ever at home. He likes stiff drinks, challenging assignments, visits with his children and why our children and his wife, which are too infrequent for his liking. He dislikes being away from his family. His ambition and goals is to leave Section 31. His temperament is sarcastic, charming, honorable, yet at the same time underhanded. Because of the nature of his job, he's learned to lie easily. His mother's name is Jamie. His father's name is Hayden. His history. David was recruited while at Cambridge University and dropped out before graduating. No one in his family knew where he ended up. He simply disappeared. The authorities... And finally, his family have written him off as dead. David is one of his many aliases, and even Savril is unaware of his true identity. When he revealed to her that he was working for Section 31, he lied, telling her that his occupation was only the thing that kept a secret. He hates being dishonest with her, but he decided that the less she knew, the safer she'd be. They met while she was assigned to the Oberth-class science vessel, the USS Hanasezai, seven years prior to the destruction of the Tiberius. 
Savril was the Anasazi's archaeology and anthropology officer, and David was assigned to her department as an undercover agent. The planet they were headed for was in the Solarian system, a Federation colony called Solarian IV, positioned near the Cardassian border, was the science vessel's ultimate destination. In recent months, the survey team had happened upon the remnants of an ancient civilization. A cloak of mystery surrounded the find, and Lieutenant Savril knew no more than the fact that the excavation was to remain top secret. A classified, <laughs> a classified Federation mission so close to the Cardassian border made Section 31 nervous, and so David was tasked with gathering intel on the mission that the ship had embarked on. He first met Savril when, as new crewmates, they boarded a shuttle and made a short trip over to the Anasazi. He made it his goal to talk to her in private the next time he saw her, as she was typically stoic when they first were introduced. The next time they spoke, the Anasazi had, had stopped at Federation Starbase Laia Station Alpha to pick up supplies and a few more crewmen on their way to Solarian 4. He had been playing Domjot and had beaten all the winning participants in the station's lounge. He noticed Savril alone at a table and challenged her to a match. She stated flatly that she had never played, but wouldn't take no for an answer. He finally persuaded Savril to joining the match, and he tried to instruct her in the principles of the game, but she had watched long enough to master it. Over the next 22 years, they became friends, and then a couple were secretly married on Ryza during her shore leave. A year later, the twins were born, and a year after that, he told her the truth. He worked for Section 31. David avowed that his profession was the only facets of himself that were lies. He told her he would leave Section 31 for good, but before his resignation could be formalized, he would have to persuade his superiors to permit him to leave. He alleged that this was an exceedingly difficult task to undertake, and he warned that it could take years before he could resign completely. She patiently waits for him to deliver on his promise, but knows it may never come to fruition. Dennis deftly hacks the system to include his record. Character's name? Dennis. Rank? Holographic Sentinel, a.k.a. a beefy guard dog. Age? I appear to be in my 30s, but my program is five years old. Place of birth? Good old Section 31 tech headquarters. Gender? All man, baby. Species of origin? My program is human. Hair, brown. Eyes, striking green, hawk-like eyes. Height, I'm a towering six foot seven. Weight, 285, all muscle. Not table muscle, but the iron-pumping variety. Skin tone, smooth skin, no scars, awesome tan. Telepathic and empathic status, none. Body, I'm heavily muscled, almost ridiculously so. The hollow dudes and fleshmen are jealous of my superior physique as well as the admiration duly bestowed upon me by the flesh femmes and hollow babes. Face, I have stunning features only masters like Michelangelo could duplicate. Strong jawline, a cleft in my chin, striking eyes. Marital status, unmarried. I'm a hologram for Pete's sake. Children, again, hologram. Habits, none. Ugh, oh, okay, you twisted my arm. I like pretty women. Quarters? I live in Savril's quarters as her family's protector. She's a neat freak, which, by the way, is very boring. Likes, attractive women, long walks on the beach, families, children, romantic dinners, picking locks, hacking computers, smashing skulls, and, uh, puppies. Dislikes, having nothing to do, being stuck in one room, being alone. Ambitions and goals, to make sure Savril, Marin, and Naval are safe. 
to be free to go wherever I want, to be an active member of the crew one day. Temperament? I'm a great guy, though I do tend to be a bit arrogant, uh, I guess. I'm, uh, I'm working on that. Family? Savril, Marin, and Naval. Character History I was born in Section 31's tech lab. I was the brainchild of Savril's husband, Agent David Locke. But the techs at Section 31, two of his most trusted friends, programmed me with his specifications. They also tossed in a few extra specs to show off their skills. I'll tell you about those later. I've only met David once and just about killed him. Hey, I didn't know what he looked like. All I knew was that a Romulan had broken into Savril's quarters. Turns out, he really looked like me under all those surgical implants. My job is to watch over his family, and until a little over a year ago, it used to be to help the children remember what he looked like. But Savril asked me to alter my default appearance. She didn't want the children to be confused, and I guess my uncanny resemblance to their father kind of creeped her out. FYI, I'm, I'm not programmed to replace her husband. I'm just the Sentinel. Because David is an agent, his family is in danger of being scrubbed. You see, 31 doesn't like it when the Rapporteurs blab about who they work for. His wife was clueless until the children were about two years old. Then, I guess David felt guilty and told Savril who he really was. She wasn't very happy, but they're still an item. He can't leave the agency, and if anyone found out who his family was, or that they knew what he did for a living, their lives would be in jeopardy. She never knows where he is, and he rarely comes for a visit. The first and only time I know of that he stopped by was just before the mission to Romulus to rescue her father. We haven't seen him since. Oh, I guess I should tell you what I can do. Well, I've been programmed with all the martial arts skills on file in Section 31. Pretty sweet, huh? I am also a master weapons handler and a hacker. I can change my appearance, but I like the way I look and wouldn't do so unless I was asked to. I've also been programmed to understand, speak, and read all the languages in the Section 31 database. Though, I really haven't had a reason to try that out yet. Federation Standard and Modern Vulcan have been the norm around here. I spend most of my time with the children in Savril's quarters. Crew never knew I was on board Tiberius, and as far as I know, Savril never told the captain. I was Tiberius' first hologram, and thanks to Section 31, no one other than Savril ever knew it. I guess someone found out, because during the Tiberius' end days, I was upgraded with a prototype system that allows me to move about freely without hollow emitters. A very lovely hollow babe, who treated me with respect, did the tweaking. She and I used these systems to help the crew of the Tiberius combat the virus. Keep an eye out for me. You may see me in the lounge one day soon. I want to see a ship's bridge, too, but I guess I should just start with a beer. It's probably easier to get one of those than permission to step foot on a bridge. Name, Rosemary Michelle Myers. Rank, Ensign. Field, Engineering. Born, 2357. Place of birth, Earth. Gender, female. Species of origin, human, Borg. Highly altered. Hair, Brown shoulder length, eyes grey, height 5.6 feet, weight 200 pounds, due to metals left from borgification, skin tone white, telepathic and empathic status, telepathic and empathic status, non-natural, deactivated Borg communication nodes, body slim borgified implants across much of her body, face one Borg eyepiece on the left side. Marital status, single. Children, none. Habits, often distracted in thought. Quarters, decorated with arts, family items and everything soft and pretty. Likes, art, music, machines. Dislikes, disorganisation. Ambitions and goals, previously to better herself, none currently, D. 
dealing with borgification. Temperament, happy usually, rarely angry. Hobbies, violin, fine arts, mechanics. Family, mother, Kayla Myers, father, Jeffrey Myers, siblings, Kevin Myers. Rosemary Michelle Myers was born in the year 2357. She comes from an Earth family. Her parents, both in Starfleet, they are ship designers. She and her brother grew up around machines and had an early understanding and skill in mechanics. She was very talented in more than just mechanics. She indulged herself in art and music. She was the pride and joy of her family. Her family loved her very much. Her older brother Kevin joined Starfleet and later became chief engineer on the ship he serves aboard. She joined like the rest of her family and became part of the Arabella crew as an engineer when it first set off. In the Borg attack on the ship, she was assimilated. She never became a real part of the collective, but much of the mechanics remained in her body due to a genetic defect. Her body's genetics are too fragile and the Borg parts that have taken over her system can't be removed all at once or she would die. There is no capable donor. Her family's genetics are slightly different enough that they aren't capable of helping. So for her, a slow process begins that could take years to return to a normal human functionality. She didn't retain any of the Borg advantages either. She is no stronger and no better than anyone else. She is conflicted to work her human parts and her Borg parts together. She has no knowledge of working the Borg parts from when she was assimilated and is unable to cope properly. More than not, she struggles to do some of the simplest of actions, though time will help her to live more normally with the Borg mechanics. Character's name, Agent Theron DeCollin. Field, Section 31, Black Ops. Rank, Agent. Species of Origin, Human. Age, 34. Gender, Male. Hair, Black, Long. Eyes, left eye green, right eye gray. Height, 6'2". Weight, 98 kilograms. Skin tone, strong tan, but weather beaten. His skin looks older than he is. Telepathic and empathic status, none. Body, average, but with athletic build. Face, squarish face. He has a scar across his right cheek. Marital status, single. Children, none. Habits is very prone to leaving sentences unfinished. Quarters, no fixed abode. Likes, not known. Dislikes, not known. Ambition and goals. Initially, to herd up the remaining experiments created by Dr. Coleman and his employer. Having done that and helped his brother by removing an IA chip from his eye, his new goal is to capture the people responsible. Temperament, committed to Section 31. Hobbies, none. Family, none. Mother, died during childbirth. Father, in an institution for the insane. Now age 79. Siblings, brother, Joseph. Now serving aboard the USS Arabella. Character history. Theron was attacked in his own home when he was 14. He managed to find his way to a small window and broke free. He ran away from his family home at 14, never to return. Escaping Earth, he was befriended by another family who worked for Starfleet Intelligence. Theron's work in intelligence and investigation earned him great respect, 
and he was able to take any job he wanted. Section 31 offered him answers to many questions he had in his mind. After several years, Theron had managed to break a syndicate involved in illegal experimentation on human newborns. He had been given the assignment after Section 31 found a chip in his own eye and found that the chip was one of 13 others. He found all 12 of the patients. A lot of them died during the madness that the chip eventually brought on. The last patient he found was his brother Joseph. Theron has now been assigned the mission to find his escaped father. After research on himself and another agent, he had discovered the truth that even he could not believe. The mysterious man known only as the employer turns out to be none other than his own father. Joseph committed his father into an asylum, believing him to be simply insane. It turns out this was a ruse as so not to be captured by Section 31. Portraying an insane man was easy for Hayes to call in, as it was not too far from the truth, but convincing his own son was not an easy task. Theron DeCollin only realized the truth when paperwork found in his cell behind a slab wall contained detailed drawings of an AI chip. A shocked Theron then found out that the mysterious man who attacked him was in fact his own father. After being informed of Hayes' escape, Theron was ordered to find his father first, then inquire about his own brother's health. Going against orders for the first time in his life, Theron made a hollow report and sent it to Joseph so he could see and hear the news when he finally recovered. Character's name, Susan Kane. Rank, Ensign. Job, Starfleet Nurse, awaiting orders. Age, 22. Place of birth, Earth. Gender, female. Species of origin, human. Hair, red. Eyes, blue. Height, 5'5". Five five. Weight, 112. Skin tone, pale. Telepathic and empathic status, none. Body, petite but athletic. Marital status, none. Children, none. Temperament, warm and welcoming. She is shy and easily influenced. Hobbies and interests. She collects books, mainly first editions. Family. Mother, Harriet. Father, Saul. Siblings, only child. Susan had a very happy childhood. Her family live in San Francisco and both work for Starfleet. She graduated with honors and is looking forward to her first nursing post. She currently works as a welcome officer to the new or returning Starfleet personnel on Earth. Name, Fissile. Rank, Starfleet Ensign. Field, Engineering. Gender, Male. Species, Zindi Arboreals. Species Origin, Zindi. Born, 2355, 23 Earth Years. Birthplace, Space Transport Ship. Father, Physic. Mother, Hob. Siblings, None. Hair, Gray. Eyes, Dark Purple. Height, 4.9 feet. Weight, 170 pounds. Skin tone, black. Telepathic and empathic status, none. Body, slightly rounded. Marital status, single. Habits, cares for his fur, a disorganizational organization style, understanding of his messes. Likes, mechanics, and technology. Dislikes, quietness, biological or historical things. Fears, fire. 
ambitions to get a position where he works with lots of technology. Attitude, excitable, very active. Hobbies, building technological gadgets. Backstory. Fissible was born and raised on a transport ship. He grew up around mechanics, and he joined Starfleet as the family business was beginning to go under. His father wanted him to leave before he became just a space junkie. Fissible graduated from Starfleet and was posted on two previous ships before the USS Arabella. After two years of being an ensign, he hasn't managed to stand out much. Character's name, Rena Grant. Rank, Master Chief Petty Officer. Job, Flight Deck Chief. Age, 35. Place of birth, Earth. Gender, female. Species of origin, human. Hair, blonde. Eyes, blue. Height, 5'8". Weight, 127. Skin tone, medium. Telepathic and empathic status, none. Body, medium. Marital status, none. Children, none. Temperament, adventurous, dedicated. A career enlisted member of Starfleet, Rena has served on several ships in her 17 years in service. Her last position has placed her under the command of the eccentric Lieutenant James and the mysterious shuttle Aurora. As part of her assignment on the Aurora, she has recently been fitted with a neural interface that allows her to mentally connect to the neural network on the Aurora. During her rich career, Rena has served in several armed conflicts and has served on the front line of numerous combat situations. Recently, Rena has found herself becoming a core member of Commander James' operations department. She has become the de facto head of both shuttle bays and reports directly to Eric to ensure the day-to-day running of shuttle operations. Character's name, Daniel Tucker. Rank, Lieutenant. Stats, born 2337.9. Place of birth, Earth. Gender, male. Species of origin, human. Hair, red. Eyes, hazel. Height, 6 feet 2 inches. Weight, 220 pounds. Skin tone, brown. Telepathic and empathic status, none. Body, very muscular. Face, rough, sun-worn. Marital status, widowed. Children, 6. Daniel Jr., 14. Debbie, 12. Dexter, 11. David, 8. Donna, 5. And Dallas, 3. Temperament, calm under pressure, great in a pinch. Hobbies, spending as much time as possible with his kids. Family, mother, Alexandria, father, Augusto. Siblings, five brothers, four sisters. Daniel is the baby of the family. Character history. Daniel and his wife, Sonia, served aboard the USS Gallant where they fell in love, got married, and started a family. Two years ago on an away mission, Sonia was killed. Daniel was devastated and quit Starfleet and went home to his family so they could help raise his six children. Slowly getting over the death of his true love, Daniel was reinstated in Starfleet and was assigned to the USS Tiberius as one of their science officers. He is also Beta Shift Commander. He left his children to be raised by his parents. That decision was difficult, but he knew it was for the best. Character's name, Elizabeth Plummer. Rank, Lieutenant. Job, Engineering Delta Shift Commander. Stats, Age 47. Place of birth, Franganar. Gender, female. Species of origin, Ferengi. Hair, none. Eyes, brown. Height, 5'2". Weight, 137. Skin tone, brown. 
telepathic and empathic status? None. Body? Petite. Face? Sweet. Marital status? None. Children? None. Temperament? Calm. Family? Mother? Allison? Human. Father? Douglas? Human. Siblings? Two brothers. Doug Jr. and Michael. Both human. Character History Elizabeth was found by Allison Plummer while on an away mission 45 years ago. She did her best to find her parents, but with no luck. She and her husband Douglas were trying to have children, and when the opportunity came up to adopt Elizabeth, they took it. When Elizabeth was old enough to know the truth, they explained her heritage and took her to Ferenganir when she was 18. She lived on Earth for 16 years and had Earth's customs. When she got to Ferenganir, she was astonished at how the women of this world were treated and vowed never to return. She entered Starfleet and now enjoys her career in engineering aboard the USS Arabella. Character name, Akihabara Otek. Rank, Lieutenant, Junior Grade. Department, Tactical. Age, Late 30s. Place of birth, Utopia Planitia, Mars. Gender, Male. Species, Human. Hair, Black. Eyes, Green. Height, 5 foot 9 inches. Weight, 195 pounds. Skin tone, dusky complexion. Telepathic and empathic status, none. Body, medium height, medium build. Missing one arm due to an engineering accident. Uses a prosthetic. Face, prominent jawline, thick eyebrows. Marital status, divorced. Temperament, aggressive, very competitive. Otak's aggressiveness might be a compensation for his deep-seated insecurities resulting from an injury sustained in a previous posting. Hobbies Robotics Martial Arts Late 20th Century Earth Pop Culture Family He has two parents, Shinji and Usaka Otak, both retired, and an ex-wife, Yuri Ikari Otak. Character History Hailing from a long line of engineers, Akihabara graduated from Starfleet Academy with the intention of continuing the family tradition. This plan was changed by a freak accident in the engine room of his first starship posting. After taking heavy fire from Cardassian raiders during the last days of the Dominion War, Lieutenant Otak's ship experienced a reactor coolant leak. While attempting to halt the leak and keep his ship in the fight, his right arm came into contact with the coolant. His crewmates managed to pull him out of the engine room, saving his life. Unfortunately, the same could not be said for his arm. After recovering from his injury, Otak swore never again to step foot in the engine room of a starship. He instead channeled his talents towards the tactical department, quickly establishing himself as a technical wizard in the field of phaser mechanics. Name, Christopher Dunn. Rank, Ensign. Division, Security. Gender, Male. Place of birth, Earth, State of Connecticut. Age, 22. Hair, light brown. Eyes, green. Height, 5'10". Weight, 158 pounds. Telepathic ability, none. Marital status, single. Likes, dislikes. Fitness and health advocate by nature, Christopher was drawn to the physical challenges presented by joining the red shirt ranks. Organized, meticulous, thorough, a real type A, Loathes chaos, lack of discipline. Freshly minted Starfleet Ensign, looking to get out there and get it on. 
So I hope you enjoyed those character profile readings, and we will talk to you next week. So this is Kenny, hailing frequencies closed. All music on this podcast was performed by Rick Moyer or his royalty-free music. Also, I'd like to thank Metrono 7 for the introduction music. Hi, I'm Rick Moyer, and I want to tell you about my brand new podcast. It's called Take Him With You. Every week I talk about what's going on in my geeky little world of television, music, and in my faith. My hope is that in a world that can sometimes be really depressing, for that at least a few moments you can be encouraged and smile a bit. So come check it out. www.takehimwithyou.com The weekly podcast that's spiritual, not religious. I'd love to have you listen. Thanks. Greetings, guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. And we're the host of a brand new podcast, Knights of the Guild, the official fan podcast of the web series The Guild. Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. Also, we'll be updating you on the current season, be it Season 2, which is currently airing on MSN Video, or Season 3, which is in the early pre-production stage. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of Season 2, as well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.podbean.com. Zaboo!